Well, good morning again. It is a pleasure and honor to be speaking this morning and to be closing our sermon series on the questions Jesus asked. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Will you join me? Gracious God, we come before you now seeking your presence to be with us as we read and hear your word proclaimed. Illuminate our minds and our hearts. Reveal to us what is hidden. Make your gospel plain. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be fitting for your holy work. Amen. I have been fortunate enough to have many opportunities to travel, not just in this country, but in many other countries, and to experience other places. Seven years ago, which I can't believe it was seven years ago, my husband Klaus and I went to the UK for 16 days, and I mean the entire United Kingdom. We began in London, England. We drove to Wales on the other side of the road, up to Scotland where my family originated from, and took a ferry to Belfast to Ireland. It was an amazing trip, and we did a lot of those touristy things, visiting the Westminster Abbey, the British Museum that we easily could have spent all day in, seeing the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace while eating proper English ice cream, St. Paul's Cathedral and singing Feed the Birds, even though I don't like them, riding the London Eye, walking through the Jane Austen Museum, and even ziplining in northern Wales. Yes, you can do that. But my favorite touristy activity was watching the well-known play musical Les Miserables at the Queen's Theatre. I think we have some pictures. Look at that beard, right? I love it. For those of you who may not be familiar with this musical, maybe you're not a fan of musicals, I'm going to make you a fan. Les Mis is based on the novel written by Victor Hugo, which was written in 1862. This historical novel and musical follows the story of a man named Jean Valjean and other major characters as they struggle against the evils of a social class system. The story is complex. There's love, there's hate, and it's filled with themes like redemption, law, and grace. Valjean, the main character of the story, is an ex-convict, having served 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread for his starving family. And yet this ex-convict experiences surprising mercy after stealing silverware from a priest. The priest does not convict Valjean to the police, but states that the silver was his to take after all, therefore canceling his second arrest. Valjean, so inspired and so touched by the priest's kindness and forgiveness, he returns and extends mercy and grace to others he meets. But Valjean is still on the run. He is still a wanted man. A high-ranking police officer by the name of Javert sees Valjean as nothing but a thief, a convict, a breaker of the law which Javert holds so dearly. At the end of Les Mis, there's a moment I find so crucial to think about. Javert, the high-ranking police officer, is captured and Valjean offers to is offered to execute him, but he doesn't. Valjean lets Javert go free. The ex-convent lets the law officer go. This struggle of law and mercy and grace connects to our text today. So if you could open up your Bibles or watch on the screen for John 7, beginning at verse 53. 
and I will read it aloud. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this to this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To be candid, this is not an easy text to preach, but this passage has been on my heart and mind since we started this series on the questions Jesus asked, and I'm really excited to share what I think is important for all of us to hear. As some of you have made notice in your Bibles, that above this text it reads, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8:11. Few manuscripts include these verses wholly or in part. After John 7:36, John 21:25, Luke 21:38, or Luke 24:53. Wow, what a heading! Biblical scholars have debated the historicity or the valid nature of this text for years, if not decades. Some say that the original language doesn't match the Greek that John was using at the time and while other scholars point out other inconsistencies. I think it's important for us to notice these things, to take them into consideration. We're reading an ancient document that requires critical thinking. With that, alongside that, we are reading a living text, a living, breathing text that still speaks of the living God and his gospel. These ideas don't need to be separate. They don't need to be contrary to each other, but we can hold them together as we wrestle the text. Unlike Mark and Luke's Gospels, John is very different. He has a very different focus. He's not interested in providing a sequential storyline of the ministry and life of Jesus. Rather, John's Gospel focuses on theological truths about Jesus so that many will come to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and have eternal life. That's the point John is making. And also, interestingly, this passage is situated during the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. The Festival of Booths is one of the three annual pilgrimages that Jewish men would take to the temple. During this harvest festival, the Jewish people remember their deliverance from Egypt 
and their dependence on God in the desert by living in temporary shelters, known as the Sakah, as God commands in Exodus and in Leviticus. So at the temple, there would be prayers and sacrifices and reciting of the Torah. Great, Pastor Faith. What does that have to do with Jesus? Well, up to this point, the Pharisees have been challenging Jesus' teachings, his identity to the Father, and challenging Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath. They're not happy with Jesus. The Pharisees are so angry, so angry with Jesus because he seems to defy the law, that is the Jewish law, and the guards will not arrest him because they don't see anything wrong with what he's doing. This brings us to our text. This is all the context building up to this moment. So Jesus enters the temple as he should have been, as a Jewish man, as the law commands. He is teaching a crowd that has surrounded him. Could he be teaching the Torah? We don't know. It doesn't say. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law don't seem to care because they interrupt Jesus' teaching for their own teaching moment. They don't care what lesson plans he's on. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees bring in a woman, a woman caught in the act of adultery. The text states that they made her stand before the group. Unlike any other situation, unlike many others who brought children, family members, friends, even the lame through rooftops, these teachers, these religious leaders brought this woman to Jesus for her condemnation, not her healing. They wanted to see her suffer, not to see her well. I can only imagine what this woman was feeling. To have to stand before a group of men, women, children, who knows, those who knew her and those who didn't, to be judged by Christ himself. Can you imagine the fear she must have been feeling? To already have known what the teachers of the law thought of her. They were ready to stone her, literally throw rocks at her, according to the Levitical law. But what would Jesus say to her? Would he say the same? To the crowd's surprise, Jesus says nothing at first. He stoops down and writes in the dirt, the dirt that he made. What he wrote, we don't know. There is speculation that Jesus wrote out the Ten Commandments or a list of sins. But that's not the point. We're not going to stay at that part. That's not our focus. In this moment, Jesus takes all the focus off of the woman onto himself. And he stoops to the ground. The Messiah, the Word in flesh, the creator of all things and all people, stoops below the woman and her accusers. He refuses to stand with them in their judgment of her. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law became persistent and even more angry as they keep asking questions what Jesus is doing and he's not answering. Jesus, hearing their anger rise in their voices, stands up and states, let any of you who is without sin throw the first stone. Go for it. If you are without sin, go for it. And he stoops back down. This is an invitation to grace to mercy. Here, Jesus is inviting the teachers of the law, the Javers, if you will, the Pharisees, the crowd, into a new way of living, a new way to see one another, a way that is not like any other, 
a way of living that's not bound to keeping the law and all of its rules, all 613, by the way, but a way of living that does not see grace as a reward or as something to harvest for themselves, but as a way to see that grace is a surprise, that mercy is a surprise. It's undeserved and unharvested. Yet there is judgment. Don't get us wrong. There is judgment. There's no doubt that Jesus judges their lack of grace, their ulterior motives, and their wanting to kill another person. But Jesus lets the teachers and the crowd make that judgment call. He doesn't pronounce the judgment. They do. He invites them to discern for themselves to see if they themselves are righteous. He invites them to see if they have that they had forgotten the greatest commandment, which is to love God and love your neighbor as yourselves. Jesus invites them to see that all are equally reliant on God's mercy because all have fallen short of God's law. Like Valjean extending grace to Javert, Jesus extends his grace to those who are bound to the law and sets them free. The surprising mercy of God, the surprising grace of God welcomes all of us into a life that's marked by mercy, not by condemnation. And their response to this surprising mercy, they leave. They walk away one by one, leaving the woman alone and in turn setting her free from their judgment. So now shifting our focus to the woman who's left standing there, alone with Jesus, even though she could have walked away, she stands. Did she commit adultery? One scholar I read suggested that this woman could have been remarried, therefore accused of adultery according to the law. I don't know. I'm not a biblical scholar. But I think we know for sure that she felt guilty for something. Therefore, she stood there. So Jesus stands once more to face her one-on-one and asked her, has no one condemned you? The golden question of the day. Has no one condemned you? Has no one sentenced you to a life of sin? Has no one judged you as evil? Has no one deemed you utterly worthless? Notice that Jesus also invites this woman to discern for herself. And who knows the kind of answer she could have said. She could have said, I do, myself. For this woman, he invites an invitation and allows her to take note of the grace that saved her life despite what her sin and others claimed her to be. She's invited to see that there was no condemnation, no death sentence, She was only judged as worthy of God's mercy by God himself. Mercy is extended to her. The righteous Lord, Jesus Christ, does not condemn her, but invites her into a new life, not controlled by sin, not controlled by condemnation, but by God's mercy. This is not to say that she could continue living in the life she once did, but how could she? How could she? Once she met mercy face to face, how could she continue living in anything less but God's mercy and grace? How could she? 
How can we continue clinging to our own righteousness? To anything less than God's grace. How can we continue clinging to knowing that it won't save us? Only God's mercy will. Can we really continue living in a life that is marred and mangled by sin once we've gotten a glimpse of God's mercy? I don't think so. So we see in this story there are two groups of people that meet Jesus face to face. And yet, they're both met with the same mercy. Despite their sin, despite their shortcomings, the mercy is the same. Even though it's kind of scary to be in that moment. Both are treated as equals, both stand face to face, and both are seen or both are invited to see that life doesn't need to be controlled by hate or sin or rules, but by love, mercy, and grace. So one quick story before I wrap up. I did not become a Christian until I was a freshman in high school. I know my name is Faith. God has a sense of humor. Ah, Thank you for laughing. I was invited by a friend to go to youth group, and I thought that was weird. Um, But I went to a Bible Bible study on Colossians. I didn't know what a Colossians was, but I was pretty curious about this Jesus guy that I heard about. And during that Bible study, I heard that invitation to grace for the first time. And it was Colossians 2, 13 through 14, which reads, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. I was so surprised that God would do such a thing. I was so floored and shocked that God not only would die, but resurrect so that sin had lost all of its power and that I could be free, that we could be free that there was no condemnation anymore. I was surprised by his mercy. But that doesn't mean I'm sinless. That doesn't mean I don't struggle. I am still very much human. Uh, You can ask my daughter when she starts talking, or you can ask Klaus. Don't worry. As someone who loves to follow rules, I am a type A. I love to follow rules. I struggle to see that mercy is not earned. It is not. That there was no condemnation now, now that I was in Christ. I struggled with this longer than I like to admit, but I am so thankful for God's pursuing love that keeps reminding me, that keeps reminding us, that mercy holds us fast. That there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That the sin and the law of sin does not hold us anymore. So when I read this story in John... I see myself in both in the crowd, the Pharisees, and in the woman. I was once caught in sin, and often caught in sin, and yet still believing that if I follow all the rules, I can harvest that grace that I so desperately need every moment. And I don't think I'm alone when I say that. But for some of us, it's easy for us to fall into the trap thinking that we've been granted mercy once, And that's all we're getting. And it's going to run out. That we're supposed to get all of this at some point when we're kids. And then that's it. You have to earn the rest. That is not the case. And thanks be to God. My friends, the question is now posed to us. Has no one condemned you? Has no one stood against you and said, 
shame on you. For those in Christ, we can stand and say, no one. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is only mercy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these stories. We thank you for these people in your Bible, for your written word, for the women and the men who are both shocked by the mercy that you so freely give through Christ, who extends it to us always and reminds us that there is a new way of living, one that is marked by your mercy and your grace and your pursuing love and not by anything that we have done or have left undone. We thank you so much, and we pray this in your name. Amen.